God, we confess together with our voices that we believe that this morning. So help our unbelief. Help us believe that you have been and you are and you will be faithful. Thank you for the testimony of your faithfulness in the scriptures. And as we open them, we pray that you'd be glorified in the ways uh, that we submit to the word. And as we uh, worship you together in listening and praying and giving and fellowship and singing and coming to the Lord's table. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray and know that you hear us. Amen. You may be seated. If you haven't heard it this morning, good morning and welcome to Grace Community Church. My name is Brad Talley. I am the teaching elder here at Grace. So glad that you're here. I think several of you are here for the first time uh, and we are grateful that you chose to worship with us this morning. We don't think it's any accident you're here, uh, but we are grateful that you decided to come here this morning. Uh, I wanted to make just one announcement. Tuesday night at Wake Chapel Church in Fuqua Verena is a sign up for this next year's Bible Study Fellowship. Uh, they're going to be studying the Gospel of John next year. It's in Fuqua. It's on Tuesday nights. Need to be there by 6.55 if you plan to sign up. Really, John is one of those books of the Bible that just shows us the, the, the beauty of God's Spirit causing men to write His Word. John was a fisherman. It's the simplest grammar, the simplest vocabulary in all of Scripture. And it is profound, almost beyond imagination. Could someone have structured it that way? Of course. But could John have done that? No. And, and, and a really bright person couldn't dumb down the language and the grammar that much. It's so it's, it's God. God's beautiful word. More about the deity of Christ in the Gospel of John than just about anywhere else. And certainly in any of the Gospels, although it's everywhere, all over Scripture, the deity of Christ. So Tuesday night, 6.55 at uh, Wake Chapel Church for Bible Study uh, Fellowship. And if you don't know what it is, talk to me afterwards. It's, it's really a, it'd be a great way to go deeper into the Word uh, this year. Um, in the spring of 1984, I attended a conference in Washington, D.C. Um, it was quite a week of past conference. Our camp had a booth there. We were promoting uh, all over because there were people from all over the southeastern United States at this conference. And it was, it was very uh, remarkable. Three days, both Vice President Bush and President Reagan spoke to the 20,000 pastors and and. Uh, lay workers from churches who were at this conference. But that's not what I remember most about that time in Washington, D.C. I was walking the streets one day looking for a Washington Post, and I saw this newspaper dispenser. It was white, and a paper I'd never seen before, USA Today. And I thought, wow, that, you know, this is probably just a local newspaper. It's for the Capitol, that kind of thing. So I got it, and, and my mouth just fell open. The USA Today was made for people like me. I mean, there are four sections, and there are so many different stories, but just little bits of information. You know, it's just a little bit about a lot of things. And I, I just love that. I, uh, our, our, my brother-in-law, Allison's brother David, is with us. We were at a bookstore yesterday, and I saw this book by Saul Bellow that said, it's a, it's a collection of his nonfiction writings, and the title of it was, There is Simply Too Much to Think About. 
And I just said, exactly. That's ex- exactly. I understand. So USA Today, which was sort of a precursor to the internet, it was just ready-made. Little bits about a whole lot of different topics. Why so many stories with so little information about each one? Simply because there's just so much to know. Today is one of those moments in Hebrews. If you're here for the first time, we're in a study in the book of Hebrews. We've been here since mid-September. And man, we're really just about to get to the exceptionally good stuff. Next week begins chapter 11. But today, at the end of chapter 12, there is so much information to cover on a variety of of topics that there's no way to spend adequate time on this text this morning. So we're just going to do a little bit about each point. It may feel a lot like surfing the net this morning when we're just kind of flying through and thinking about a lot of different things. But since this text supports the main focus of the section that we've been studying over the last couple of months, it'll be okay to move quickly through Hebrews 10, verses 26 to 39. Our... um, Custom here at Grace Community Church is to to stand as the scripture is read. And I would ask you to please do so uh, as we read or as I read uh, Hebrews chapter 10 verses 26 to 39. Just for context, I'm going to go back and read verses 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has spurned the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the one coming will come, or the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. By the way, let me just say this because it's not mentioned in the sermon. This verse from Habakkuk 4, uh, Habakkuk 2, 4, also in Romans 1, Galatians 3, one of the most important verses in the Bible just when Israel was about to be judged. God told Habakkuk, 
the just, my just ones, shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Father, it's easy to say we thank you for the encouragement. It's not as easy, but, but also important to say we thank you for the warnings in your word not to walk away from Jesus. Uh, so Lord, we pray that we would receive this word with fear and with great encouragement. Thank you for calling us to Jesus. Thank you for his sacrifice on the cross on our behalf for standing in the way of your wrath that was justly poured out on us and our sin when Jesus took the wrath and his blood became a propitiation for our sins, a satisfaction in your heart and mind. Thank you for that. Speak to our hearts, open our minds, our spiritual eyes, and our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. Well, if you've been here for any length of time in this Hebrew study, you know that it's a sermon based on Old Testament text. One in particular, Psalm 110.1. Didn't point it out last week, but that was an allusion to Psalm 110. Or, or Psalm 110, I mean, is the... Is the text for the whole, but Psalm 110.1 was uh, in very on full display last week. I wish we had time to make all of the Old Testament connections, and, and the connections that this portion of Hebrews has with all the other sections of Hebrews, and, and, and all of the connections that this text has with New Testament text all over uh, the New Testament. As we have repeatedly seen, the structure in this sermon is magnificent and I can assure you that there are exceptional rhetorical skills on display as he writes but there is just too much to cover so we'll have to content ourselves as often the case to have three points of focus in now wait a minute we're going to have 11 points of focus in this message so we better get going uh, with the first one unbelief is the only sin that will keep you from heaven One of the unique features about the book of Hebrews is that there are five distinct warning passages. Warning people who had come to Jesus at some point. They were mostly Jewish believers in Rome who had trusted Christ. And as we have read about, stood strong for the Lord in spite of heavy persecution early on. But the persecution had been extended. And they were thinking about walking away or going back to the law. And the writer of Hebrews wrote this letter to just a very small church. Maybe a lot of people seem to think there were only 15, 20 people in that neighborhood in this church at the time. Now, i got to tell you, if 15 or 20 of you had shown up this morning, I would have been a little discouraged. And, I, you know, it, would, I'm not, it just wouldn't be that easy to preach the message that I had prepared. This guy wrote Hebrews to 15 or 20 people. Can you believe that? It's pretty amazing. And he was trying to stop the bleeding of people walking away 
from Jesus and walking away from the church. So the warning begins with verse 26. And it's one of the strongest in Hebrews. In fact, it's the strongest warning in Hebrews and one of the strongest in the entire New Testament. So the gospel tells us our only hope of heaven is Jesus, not in doing the best we can to get to heaven. Maybe God will accept us. We're all sinners. It's too late to be acceptable to God. Something has to happen, and that something was Jesus dying on our behalf. So now, even though they had begun well, these Jewish converts were thinking about going back to the law. And the question that a lot of them had were... Was really, is it that big of a deal? I mean, look, we all worship the same God, right? You hear that, don't you? We all worship the same God. And the author of Hebrews would say, no, Yahweh's full name is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And if you walk away from Jesus, you walk away from God. Or if Jesus is only part of the solution. Okay, I believe Jesus died for me, but it's up to me to keep up the good works in order to, for God to accept me or to, to let me stay in his family. If you think Jesus is only part of the solution, you are in danger of judgment. Now, if you were to ask to interpret verses 26 and 27 about those who go on sinning deliberately, what would you, how, where would you land? You'd probably say, well, you know, if a person sins all the time, then clearly this person is not a believer. Habitual sin would be the focus you would think. Such a conclusion would be the natural understanding of these verses if they stood on their own. But as we have seen every single week in the book of Hebrews. Everything that is said is is pointing backwards and forward. It's going every direction. It's all part of one large argument. And the point of verse 26 is not if you keep on gambling, you'll lose what you have. But rather, if you walk away from Jesus, judgment awaits you. In other words, unbelief, a failure to believe that Jesus died for your sin is the only sin that will keep you from heaven. So, if someone walks away from Jesus, we can assume that he or she never had genuine faith in the first place, correct? Well, probably. But, but remember, the Bible doesn't ask the same questions we're prone to ask. So the answers are often not as simple as our reductionist tendencies would lead us to assume about How you answer this kind of a question. Do you think that person was saved? Did he lose it? Or did he never have it? What Bible's not dealing with that kind of stuff. As we've talked about, these warning passages are a means of grace. I don't believe you can lose what God has given you. I don't believe that. But I do believe when God says, don't walk away from Jesus because if you do, it has eternal consequences. How do you make sense of that? I... God's bigger than I am. That's how you make sense of it. So here's the point. Do not walk away from Jesus. And this is another thing you can get from from New Testament. Really, I can make this case in several points. To walk away from the church is to walk away from Jesus. Do not walk away from Jesus. I can worship Jesus on my own in the 21st century. But this word is timeless. 
And it didn't stop meaning what it said when, when, the, when we hit Y2K. Well, we interpret that differently now. Don't walk away from Jesus. So if unbelief is the only sin that will keep me from heaven, I can live any way I desire as long as I believe in Jesus, right? Thank you for playing. That's wrong. Second thought from this passage is, no sin is to be taken lightly, but remember the good news of the gospel every day. We often talk about, last week was a beautiful week to be here, wasn't it? That that baptism, seven people (coughs) being baptized. The New Testament knows nothing about an unbaptized believer. It's like, what? Really? You're not baptized? You've believed Christ? You've trusted Christ? The New Testament also makes it clear that God has designed for believers to be conformed to Christ. And I can... As long as I trust Jesus, I can live how I want. What? You're reading a different New Testament than most of us are reading. That certainly doesn't look like a person. The the New Testament version of a Christian does not look like a person who delights in sin. It is also true, we must acknowledge, that every Christian has two natures warring against each other. I was lying in bed thinking about it this morning. The spirit wars against the flesh. The flesh wars against the spirit so that you cannot do what you would no matter what you're doing. If you're walking in the spirit, the flesh is going to be calling. If you're walking in the flesh, the spirit's not going to leave you alone. You're not going to be satisfied and saying, this is cool. I can just live like this and I'll just do the church thing on Sunday. Holy Spirit won't let you do that. He calls you to repentance The unbeliever only has one nature and it's the flesh. But you know what? The flesh is really good at imitating. And the flesh can do a good job of looking like the spirit. When the spirit moves in, sometimes the flesh decides not to play so nice, you know? It's like, it's kind of like, hey, I don't like that. I was doing a good job here. You move. And the flesh can raise its head and we can struggle with sin as believers. But if you are a believer, there is a deep desire in you to please God. He lives in you. When you choose to please self, which is also a strong urge, if you belong to Jesus, you will be led to repentance when you sin. You just will. That's the gospel. That's why we have to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. Father, I have sinned yet again. If you care more about other people's sin than you care about your own sin, it might be a good time to examine your relationship with Jesus. If you could care less about your sin, it might be a good time to examine your relationship with Jesus. A third thing to consider from our text. Persecution tends to weed out nominal Christians. One of the primary purposes, as we've already acknowledged this morning, of this sermon letter to the small church in Rome was just to stop the bleeding. People from walking away from Jesus. Many who had professed Christ were now because of intense persecution that was either already in place or just on the horizon. From the Roman Empire, a lot of these people were saying, you know, I never thought I'd say this, but it's safer to just be a Jew 
than it is to be a Christian. Because as a Christian, not only are the Jews on my case now, but Rome is on my case. In our day, many are deeply concerned about the decline in church attendance over the past 40 years in America. Almost everyone agrees that the that decline is significant. Some think it is startlingly, startlingly so. It's It's frightening how many people are walking away from church. But as the truth of Scripture finds increasing disfavor in society, we can assume that most of those who are leaving are only nominally connected to Jesus anyway. When a cost is attached to following the Lord, typically only the true believers will hold their position. While it's true that the wheat and tares will grow together and the day, the great judgment day, they will be separated. And some of those who were church members in the end never had genuine faith. For the most part, persecution was going to sift the believers from the unbelievers. From those who follow Jesus, from those who find some comfort or benefit in religion, but were never all the way trusting the Lord. Their salvation. That's why people have such difficulty with the next point. Starting is easier than finishing, but finishing is more important than starting. Now, I would, if I ask the question this morning, how many of you are good starters, but you have trouble hanging with it? I'd have to have both hands up, and like my dad used to do on the sofa, he'd throw his legs up, you know. Well, I, I'm, that's me. I love to get it started, but I don't like to keep at it. It's just the way it is. So the author says, do not walk away from Jesus. Have you heard that before? <laughs> By way of encouragement, he reminded his readers of their willingness to suffer for Jesus in the earlier days. When you have suffered long, though, When you've suffered for a long time or something hits you totally out of the blue. It's a real challenge to hang in there. I mean, maybe I got it wrong. I've been willing to to endure a whole lot in my life, but I never anticipated this. It's true. At some point in your life, Satan is going to blindside you. And you may think, okay, well, I'll be prepared for this. This, What do you not understand about blindsided? (laughs) Satan is going to come at you and you're not going to be able to process it. And you're going to be tempted to walk away. That's why the encouragement from one another that we read about this morning before our text and, and, and talked about last week is so important. Everything changes quickly in our world and it's easy to get in the world's flow and before you know it, you're on a path that leads to anywhere but finishing well. That's a good time to remember. The gospel is much better than the law and it's much more dangerous. The sacrifices of the Old Testament under the law were nothing to be compared to the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus. 
This is the very end of this passage that we've been going from Hebrews 7 that we have spent a couple of months in. Where he's been talking about the superiority of Jesus' sacrifice and the superiority of the gospel to the law. We've also seen, based on what we've read and, and see in other parts of Scripture, that the gospel and law are both Old Testament and New Testament. Gospel is all over the Old Testament and the law is all over the New Testament. People who live by the law. And as we have clearly seen, the law can do nothing, even though it is perfect, it can do nothing to help us, to save us. It can only condemn us when we fail to keep it. But since the law and gospel have both been in effect, since immediately after the fall, immediately, God talks about the day when Jesus will be wounded in the heel by Satan, but he will crush the serpent's head. He will defeat death through his own sacrifice. Since we have seen it, since immediately after the fall, it's incorrect to say that the God of the Old Testament is a God of judgment and, and, and wrath, and the God of the New Testament is a God of love. He is both judgment and love at all times. And we're on the receiving end of one or the other based on our relationship with Jesus. And the writer of Hebrews makes another one of those lesser to greater arguments when he says, Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged? The spirit of grace. Man, outrage all over our society today. Outrage. Did you stop to consider the outrage of the almighty God? There's only one thing that brings his outrage to you. A refusal to trust Jesus for your salvation. The gospel is stunningly good news. And it is dangerous that's why we should often remember that great judgment day of the Lord. A day when you will have to give an account for yourself before God is almost unthinkable in a day when you are repeatedly told that the only person you need to look out for is yourself. If you don't look out for yourself, no one else will. Pamper yourself. Take care of yourself. You deserve it. Listen, remembering the judgment seat of Christ for believers and the great white throne judgment for unbelievers will both change the way that we live and change the way that we interact with our brothers and sisters, our neighbors, our co-workers, and we'll do it all for the sake of the gospel. The more that we focus on the next life, the freer we are to concentrate on kingdom life, including the ability to hold your possessions lightly and give them up freely for the gospel. In the first century, the government had the power to confiscate the property of an individual who didn't follow the law. And the government might have been the Roman Empire, it might have been the local Jewish tribunal 
that was responsible for a particular area for the Jews who were in that area. It, it, just imagine, it was devastating to lose all of your property and your means of livelihood. In fact, it was almost impossible in that day to come back from such devastating loss. Look, in our day, if somebody loses, you know, if a millionaire goes broke, I'm not typically too concerned. This is a person with an entrepreneurial spirit and he's going to make his money or she's going to make her money again. It's just the way it is. Some people have that ability and if they go down, they go back up. Not in that day. If you were exiled, sometimes this confiscation of property meant that you were sent away, a long way away, out of your homeland. And so just imagine how difficult that would have been. If you were put in prison, which some had been put in prison for their faith, you would starve to death if no one brought you food. They didn't provide for your, your food in prison. I, I've never seen anyone to suggest this. But I have for some time thought that that's probably why the Jews in the early church sold their property and gave the money to the apostles for keeping it was kind of a preemptive move. They recognized what would happen if they didn't recant their faith in Christ. And sometimes, if, once you were baptized, that was it. You said you believe in Jesus, and this still goes on today. I believe in Jesus. Oh, honey, you can't believe in Jesus. Yes, and I'm going to be baptized. If you're baptized, you're dead to me. You're dead to this family. So the Jewish leaders could just take your property if you didn't toe the line, the synagogue line and the rules. So I think maybe it was a preemptive kind of a move. They knew, these, these early believers knew the cost of following Jesus and they were willing to pay it. They freely and joyfully gave up their possessions. It's not something we talk about a lot. Used to hear it a lot in the 70s, in the early 80s. You hardly ever hear it anymore. What rights do we have Oh, well, let me tell you what rights I have. I have a right to a good night's sleep. You know, I, I, I deserve a jacuzzi in my backyard. I, and I have a right to good service. I have a right for quality for what I pay for. I, I should expect certain things. Can you imagine standing outside your home as government officials or looters just took your stuff out? Just watched it go out? Most people would be devastated but these people counted it joy oh lord thank you that you've counted us worthy to suffer for your name and to suffer this loss as jim elliott the missionary who would be martyred said he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to gain that which he cannot lose think about that the next time you feel like you've been cheated on a business deal. Or the service was lousy. Or you actually had to wait more than five minutes in a grocery, grocery store line. Just think about that. Just think about getting aggravated. Because we've been able to choose, pick and choose anything we want. In this grocery store. And you're kidding me. Where are the cashiers in this place? Next, to stand with your brothers and sisters who are persecuted 
is to stand with Jesus. The opposite is true also. To fail to stand with your brothers and sisters is to reject Jesus. To help someone who was persecuted in the first century was a pretty risky thing. If you provided food for a prisoner, people are saying, better keep an eye on that guy. Jared Fries, he was bringing food to Colby Elmore. Now, we know Colby belongs in jail. I'm wondering about Jared, too. I'm thinking maybe, you know, we're keeping an eye on him. It was a risky thing to do. But they gladly did it. That's why it was such a big deal for Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea to take Jesus' body down from the cross and to clean it and to prepare it for burial and then to place it in Joseph's tomb. People talk about all the time, Nicodemus was the secret disciple. He was, as was Joseph of Arimathea. In the end, they took a bold stand for the Lord. The New Testament makes it clear to stand with your brothers and sisters in persecution is to stand with Jesus. But I might suffer. Well, fortunately, the next point has you covered. Suffering well is the will of God for you. You're not hearing that in a lot of places on Sunday morning in America. Suffering well is the will of God for you. Who wants to hear that? No wonder you hear so much promises that, or so much preaching that promises God only wants good for your life and you need only to have faith in God, which as we've talked about recently, pretty much means faith in yourself or faith in faith, whatever that means. It's not looking at Jesus. It's looking and just looking inside and, and bucking up and just say, okay, it's going to be all right. But God says through our author of Hebrews, what our author of Hebrews says in verse 36, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Okay, I'm going to assume that that verse means that suffering temporarily is God's will for my life, but sooner or later it's going to get better. If I'm sick, I'm going to get better and life is going to be grand. If I lose one job, the Lord is going to give me a better job. How many times have you heard that? I lost my job. God's got something better for you. What, what universe are you living in? What scripture are you reading? He may do that. Oftentimes he does it. Sometimes it's a, it's a beautiful <coughs> picture of heaven, the restoration. Chris talked about the gospel this morning. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Restoration is out there, but we get pictures of it. When God heals people, but we don't always get a better job. Our spouse doesn't always come back. Quit having affairs. Sometimes it goes from bad to worse. So what is that verse about? I'll receive the promise. What is promised is in the next life. It's not in this life. 
God oftentimes makes your life much better than it is in a crisis. But sometimes you don't get that person back. It's different. It's not necessarily better. But it can be good. And it's always good if you're looking toward the reward that we get in heaven. And not looking for life to work out so that we can say, Well, I have my faith, you know. It's misplaced. My faith. My faith. The faith that God has given me in Jesus. And the hope that I have of eternal life with Him. The New Testament tells us that if we serve Jesus, we will suffer persecution. It looks different for people in different lands. Our persecution is not the persecution in Saudi Arabia if they find out you're a Christian. But there is persecution. We suffer loss. We have all kinds of issues because we follow Jesus. And some of it we can't even see going on. Is sickness sometimes... Sickness could be a Job thing going on in heaven. When God says, have you seen my, my servant Scott Colbreth? And Satan says, yeah, just let me at him. We'll see about Mr. Colbreth. We don't know what's going on. There is suffering because... Of living in a fallen, broken world. And when we identify with Jesus, the world rebels against that. Satan rebels against that. And he comes at us from every angle. But if we follow Jesus through the suffering, and it doesn't mean we'll always be in the best of moods or we've always got to figure it out. Sometimes endurance involves a lot of bad, just days, bad days, and not trusting God. But if you hang in there, you will be rewarded. And I, I, the greater the suffering, the greater the blessing in heaven. To walk away from Jesus is to forfeit, at the very least, your reward. Which is why the next truth is so important. Be grateful that Jesus is holding on to you. One of the interesting features of these warning passages in Hebrews is that after the author issues... A severe warning against walking away. He always gives a word of encouragement but says, but look, I've got, I know that that's not you. You need to understand that this is the case, but there are better things that we th expect of you. I know that you're going to hang in there. And it's encouraging to hear somebody say that. It's encouraging when you're down for someone to say, you're going to make it. It's going to be all right. Well, how is this going to? I don't know. I can't do anything about that, but I can cry with you and I can encourage you and tell you it's going to be all right. God has, has a design and a plan to make you more like Jesus and you will be greatly rewarded. And I've got confidence that you're going to hang in there. And why do I have confidence? Because Not because you're holding on to Jesus, although that's part of it. That's part of the warning. Hang on to Jesus. But because he's holding on to you. So when the author of Hebrews counsels his readers to hold on to Jesus, it's because believers can know that Jesus is holding on to them, which is why we rejoice so much in this last point. Take heart. 
Jesus will be here soon. When life is good, excitement about Jesus' return is relatively low priority. <laughs> you know, man, I hope Jesus comes back, but just let me get married first, okay? You know, and the honeymoon would be nice. Let's, let's just, okay, what's one more week, right? In some, some case of you, what's one more day or two, you know, for you really poor people like I was? Um, what just come on Lord just hold off or, or, or then it's yeah I just we just want to have this baby we just just give us let us a little have a little time for children and just job promotion and then his grandchildren and then you get old and you say even so come Lord Jesus <laughs> it's funny how the Lord just prepares us for that isn't it believers and non-believers alike older people they don't care about death near as much as you young folks do when troubles come, though, in heavy doses, we tend to look far more frequently to the skies and just long for the Lord's return. And one of the beautiful things about difficulty in your life is that He turns your eyes toward Him. And He turns your eyes toward heaven and ask, causes you to ask, Oh, Lord, come quickly. I long to see your face. It makes us homesick for heaven. Used to think that's a wrong motive for wanting to get out of there. But then Romans 5 gives that progression about trials bring about patience and patience brings about experience and experience hope. I'm quoting from the King James because that's what I remember it in. And hope, as we talked about last week, always refers to eternal life. So trials lead to a desire to be with Jesus in heaven. So if, you're, if life is hard, it's quite all right. Don't feel guilty about saying, oh, Lord, come soon. This morning, as we come to the Lord's table, we will remember both Jesus' sacrifice and we will anticipate his coming. So let's close this time with the beautiful words from our text, Hebrews 10, verses 37 to 39. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Let's pray. Father, it is um, the gospel that brings us here together. We might have gathered for other reasons, but you remind us from your word week in and week out of the gospel. That is our hope that Jesus died for us. And Lord, um, we long, our hearts break for those who are, 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 are struggling with debilitating illnesses. Lord, for those who have been unemployed for some time and are 
quite discouraged. Our hearts break with theirs because you have called us to suffer with one another and rejoice with one another. And Lord, regardless of all the differences that could separate us, we are bound together at this table at which we gather. I pray this morning when we come to the Lord's table and partake of the supper that we are commanded and privileged to receive as brothers and sisters in Christ. May we remember the great sacrifice made for our sin. May we take nourishment and be changed, Lord, in this one other means of grace that you have provided for us to look more like Jesus. And may we anticipate the coming one who has delayed but will come and will not delay at some point. Oh Lord, we pray that that would be today. Make our hearts ready for heaven. And thank you for this special meal that you have provided for us. And thank you not only that we get to proclaim our allegiance to Jesus, but that you proclaim your allegiance with us in this meal. So, prepare our hearts for the table in Jesus' name. Amen.